Just trust me, okay? This is Michael, and tonight, on a fabulous, spectacular, unexpected weekend, we are in the studio with the lovely Tracy Stern, otherwise known as the Curvy Flipper. Hello, my dear. Hi. How are you? I'm absolutely amazing. How are you? I am so fabulous. I am so excited that you're here. I have always enjoyed seeing you be so excited and electric about whatever it is you're doing. Mm -hmm. I think anyone basically gets excited, but I will say that when I was at ODU, one of the topics I did was on charisma, and I believe that you are the walking definition of charisma. Oh, thank you. So, yes, if you see Tracy out and about and you are not immediately polarized, like I just don't I don't know who else would do that I gotta do my hair toss right now yes so (laughs) let's go ahead we're gonna be in this segment we're gonna focus on Tracy Stern where you came from where you are and where you're headed so let's go ahead and jump right into that okay where were you born oh my gosh I was born in a small town called Etobicoke Ontario Canada you're from Canada. I am. See, I'm glad I didn't know that. <laughs> That's amazing. Okay, yeah. so you're from Canada. I am, born and raised. All right. And how long did you stay in Canada? I stayed in Canada until 1996. Wow. Okay, so you were up there for a hot minute. Yeah, so, I guess that I grew up there, went to high school there. So what was your childhood like? I was good. I mean, my childhood was, I guess you could say, pretty average. I mean, blue-collar mom and dad. Mm-hmm. Um, they divorced when I was 18. Okay. But, you know, spent our summers camping, big family. I have lots of cousins. Um, awesome. Aunts and uncles. How many siblings? One sibling. Okay. Yeah, older brother. Awesome. And so, now how tall are you? I am five foot eleven. So, how long have you always been the girl that's probably a cut above height-wise? As long as I can remember, but I say probably 13 is 13, 14 is when I became conscious of it because I was always the tallest girl in school until I got to high school. I was going to say, so it's safe to say that you were never looked at as like, oh, poor little Tracy. No, but I was bullied. Oh, really? Yes. I actually was bullied all through elementary school, starting in grade three. I was a uh, early developed girl. Okay. And I wore a training bra. And I wore it to class. In third, uh, class. As of third grade. As of third grade. And girls were not liking that. No, well, I was super sensitive. So it had really actually nothing to do with the fact that I developed sooner. It was the fact that I was hypersensitive. Mm. So I locked my training bra in a school locker. And I couldn't okay. get it out. So I had to go get the teacher. Okay. Well, some of the mean girls decided to make fun of me. And wow. I cried. And then they just used that against me. Wow. So, yeah, I was bullied until up until grade eight when we moved out of the city. Uh, so five years. And, I mean, schoolyard fights, loner. I had one friend, but she wouldn't be friends with me at school. She would only be friends with me mm. on weekends. So do you remember when you – so this was how old were you when that happened, that kind of friendship, that toxic friendship? Um, that was probably grade six. Seven, grade eight. So, so like you're 12, in seventh 13. or eighth grade, you obviously have a lot of awareness because I fully remember my thought process during that time. Mm-hmm. Do you remember how you were feeling? Were you feeling super low in a very dark place or were you just very lonely? How did you feel? The one thing that the bullying kind of taught me is one, I got really good at reading people. Okay. Telling who's genuine, who's not. Right. Uh, I got really good at reading lips. Yeah. Oh, okay. Gotcha. So from across from, the yard. From across the yard. And um, it, it just, for me, 
it just made me more sensitive. I, I was uh, known to pick up strays a lot, so I would bring home stray <laughs> animals all the time. Wow, okay. And then as I got older, it would be stray people, if I that was, makes any sense. No, it does. Because when you said strays, that's exactly what I thought first. I was like, so you were bringing home stray people, but yeah, animals into people. Into people, yeah, into okay. people. So like the the loner at school, the, yeah. you know, the person that was always sort of set aside, I was always befriending because then I, I knew how it felt to be isolated. So did it ever go to, um, to a point where you went from being the one that was always getting bullied to either just being accepted or being bull- the bullier by proxy because you were just so enraged? No, it came down to the fact that, and I don't know if it was ever a conscious thing, but my first, because um, I know we're going to get to this later on in the right. conversation, but that reinvention yep. word. Yep. When we left the town that I went to elementary school in and junior high and moved to a new town midway through grade eight, that was my opportunity to reinvent. Okay. And that was the first time I did it. And that's when I kind of realized that nobody knew who I was. Yeah, I was going to say, so at, at eighth grade, which is a key point, eighth that's grade. a nice time yeah. to and go then, ahead and switch. But I, you know, I've always, I've never had a lot of friends. I have a lot of acquaintances. Right. I have very few friends. Right. Um, and the friends I do have, I've had for an extended period of time. I was going to say, I think that it's pretty clear, especially for most people that have dealt with any type of bullying, that you are super leery of people forever. Because then you're always wondering, like, okay, I know that you, you I know you seem nice right now, but we'll see. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? And I've, I've learned over the years, and now that I'm at the age I'm at, um, you, you start to, especially knowing, having my background and going through the entertainment industry, which we'll get into that as well, and just the different experiences that I've had, it's allowed me to really hone my skills as far as understanding what people want. Um, right. My coattails have been jumped on so many times. Right. And, you know, I know that you have probably had experienced that quite a few times. Absolutely. Especially with people who are driven, tenacious, and don't allow baggage to slow them down. No. People are like, well, you know, I'll let them do all the footwork and then I'm just going to kind of tag along. <laughs> right. So that bullying and that uh, those relationships really taught me how to identify those type of people. So while you were going through your first reinvention in eighth grade, you stayed at that same school with those same people through graduation? Through high school, yeah. Okay. So now we get into high school and you're getting ready to go off to college, but you said that, or to make that decision, you said that your parents ended up getting divorced at 18 when you were 18 so what was going on as you were getting close to graduation were your parents already making it aware that they were about to separate oh gosh high school was just a hodgepodge of stuff so high school started out as a band geek okay and what was your instrument i was trumpet awesome (laughs) and and drama club okay so i did i did school plays were you in musicals Uh, i was what musicals were you in i have no idea you don't remember so clearly that was a highlight for you (laughs) yeah i do remember my character's name which was miss i have a good body miss okay and i think it's still suited yeah and i had um i had they made me a padded bra so it was a bra that had a bunch of padding sewn into it so when you put it on i had like this gigantic chest like dolly parton's chest yeah and i was like probably 15 years old oh my gosh inappropriate but it's relative nowadays (laughs) um but and then so i became that was like grade nine okay and then grade 10 i got into grade nine 10 i transitioned into jock phase oh okay and i became a full-fledged jock tomboy which it's awesome to hear your sequence of events there you really were just like let me try this nope let me try this nope so when you got into jock phase did did that click yes okay volleyball volleyball go figure 511 100 percent. still <laughs> yes. play it nowadays awesome okay mm-hmm. so you stuck with volleyball yeah. all the way through 
all the way through high school. So once you were getting close to graduation, did you start thinking about college and what you wanted to do next? Or what was your thought process? My dad was RCMP, which was Royal Canadian Mounted Police. So the red okay. jackets on the horses. Clearly not an acronym most of us are familiar with. No. So <laughs> okay. when I say like the red coats on horses and people That was like, your dad. Oh, that was my dad. That he was that's, that's what he did. Incredible. Yeah. He was DEA in Canada. Wow. That would have been the equivalent of his job. Okay. So my dad, I was going to follow in his footsteps. I was very, my dad was my hero. I loved the job. It was so exciting. I listened to his stories. I absolutely loved. So I was going to become a cop just like my dad. Oh, okay. And so that's what I was preparing for through high school. Wow. High school, it was very emotional for me. Uh, I tried to commit suicide by drowning. Um, on, so clearly on purpose. What was your yeah. thought process? What drew you to that? My parents were having a lot of difficulties over the years. Okay. So the divorce at 18 was the result of years of I'm going to leave you let's get back together I'm going and to you, leave you. I'm going were to a witness together. to all of this right and okay. I'm the baby of the family my brother's three years older so okay. at 18 he was out which left me at home at 15 oh my gosh to 18 to fend with this back and forth yo-yo of my parents okay so as a cry for attention I committed I tried to commit suicide it and wasn't that's that really wasn't the motive like it wasn't like a, I'm going to commit suicide thought process right but it was more of an opportunity came up and I just didn't fight it yeah I was gonna sense. it does because you basically put yourself in jeopardy right you and you were like well I guess I'm just gonna go with this yeah I was drinking young I was drinking in high school of course because we all do uh, right and then got into a swimming pool and just passed out okay so how were you found what happened uh, my girlfriend she pulled you out yeah she no ambulances, no... Did no. you make it clear that that was what your thought process was to anyone? Or yep. nobody knew? They just thought it was an accident? Yep. Nobody uh, knew about it but her and who was at her house that night. But you knew what your mental was, but you didn't tell anybody? No. Wow. Okay. No. So did you ever get to a point... Now, I know we're talking later because we keep going back and forth, but have you ever told them that this was something that you thought about so severely in that time? That's how much it had affected you? I don't know. I don't know if I ever brought that up. I might have at some point in my life, but it was never such a dramatic conversation that I've retained that I just, you know what I mean? It's just yeah. never been like one of those things I've held on to is like who I am or right, what makes right. me up kind of thing. So after that moment, mm-hmm. you, d- you went ahead and pulled yourself back together with what was going on in life. So you're 18 at that point, or this is now post-divorce? So I'm 18, and I moved to Sweden for a year. Oh, this is perfect timing. So <laughs> you moved to Sweden for a year, and with that, we're going to go ahead and take a break, and we'll be right back. Welcome back. So we were talking about what was going on with leading up into the end of high school. I guess the biggest event was that you had gotten so low that you were feeling helpless and just didn't know what to do. So kind of your cry for help was that you were going to go ahead and just let yourself potentially drown. Mm -hmm. Um, Your friend ended up saving you. Thank God. Mm -hmm. So here you are. And now you are making bigger decisions with what you're going to do next. You decide you're not going to be a cop. No, I hadn't made that decision yet. I was still going to be a cop, but an opportunity to become an exchange student fell in my lap. That's amazing. Um, I had two friends in high school, and we all kind of made a pat. 
a pact, excuse me, that we were all going to go on exchange. Okay. And I chose Sweden based on the fact that there was a cute boy from Sweden. Go in, figure. <laughs> in our group. <laughs> it wasn't my first choice, but they had, they made me choose. And I'm like, he's cute. I'll go there. Okay. Uh, one of my girlfriends went to Brazil. And then the other girlfriend at the last minute backed out. Oh, wow. So okay. she didn't end up going. So it was just uh, my best friend and I that, that ended up doing the exchange program. So how long were you out there for? A year. And how was it? You know, that was probably the best thing that could have ever happened to me. Really? It was the hardest thing. So we're talking 1991, 92. So think um, no internet. Right. No long distance plans. No. uh, So writing letters was the only form of communication back home and the occasional phone call. I had never left home. And it sounded like it was just at the right time. You really needed to go and figure you out. It was meant to be. Yeah. It was definitely, I don't believe in coincidences. No. I believe that that was meant to be. And during that year, um, the divorce of my parents became finalized. Okay. The, my dad started dating somebody new. Okay. Mm, let me think what else happened that year. So this all happened while you were away. Right. But did you know, uh, it was it all revealed to you when you got back or you were finding this out through letters? I was finding, I found it out through letters and okay. it was like a three month turnaround on letters. I was going to say, I think it's crazy <laughs> because people, especially young people nowadays, they just don't grasp the concept yeah. of like right now it's all instant gratification updates, but there was no such thing as that. No, it was three and months. And phone calls but, were ridiculously expensive. Oh yeah. It was my first phone bill of being homesick. My first phone bill for the host family was $800. <sighs> wow. And my parents had to pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Sorry, mom and dad. Um, but that year, one, I learned I have a knack for languages. I'm a linguist. I was about to say, did you even know any other languages? No. I had, I had spoken French. We were – in Canada, the second language is French. So okay. it's mandatory in school to take it up until grade nine. Okay. So did that help you in Sweden? No. <laughs> I wouldn't I hated, think Personally, I, wouldn't think I so. hate French. Okay. So I oh, stopped okay. taking it as soon as I was able to take it. Okay. Um, I, I'm not going to say I hate French. I appreciate languages now, but at the time, French and I just did not get along. Okay. So I didn't want to do it anymore. Okay. So I didn't have to. So I didn't. Uh, Yeah, which makes sense. When I moved to Sweden, I was fully immersed into the culture. Right. I lived with Swedish families, went to Swedish high school, um, learned Swedish in school. By six months, I was fluent. Wow. And then I was just adding vocabulary at that point. Wow. I figured out, uh, I fell into a depression. And this is where I first recognized what depression was and what my symptoms were. Okay. And then I also realized how uh, to get out of it. So when you started getting depressed, what was bringing that on? Homesick, uh, being not, I was being living with a family that the host mother and I did not get along. Really? At all. Okay. So I was with three different families. Was there a clear reason why or it just wasn't good? I have no idea. Wow, still. Yeah, it's um, that particular family. So in Sweden, meat is really expensive. Okay. So they tend to hunt. Okay. All right. So I'm not a big hunter. <laughs> okay. Go figure. Right. And one day, and, and my host mother knew this, and she, A, refused to speak English to me, or Swedish to me. She would always want to practice her English. So that was always annoying. Well, yeah. Because I'm there to learn Swedish. I'm there to learn the culture. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, one day I came home, and she says, well, your your father is out in the garage. You need to go out there and help him. And I'm like, okay. So I put my stuff down, whatever. I walk in the garage. And as I walk in the garage, he's skinning a rabbit. And I still, to this day, can hear the skin ripping off of the rabbit. And it's like one of those 
PTSD moments for me that I will never forget You're just what like, that sounds like. Yeah. And I to me that was just it was just another thorn in the coffin for her. Holy we just cow. could not wait to get out of there. So that's when the depression kind of hit. And I was staying with that family over the holidays. So it kind of got me out of the depression where Christmas tapes that my dad made me. Okay. Cassette tapes for all those listening. Yes. Um, <laughs> Cassettes, yeah. I know. Cassette exactly. Tapes. Yes. <laughs> cassette tapes that, you know, you put did them you, in. Did you put them in your Walkman? Uh, no, I didn't have a Walkman. I had a stereo in my room. Okay. And I would play them. And then uh, he he sent me, I think, like six or eight of these cassette tapes that he taped Christmas music for me. Wow. And music sort of became my, it became my outlet. Okay. Yeah. So you started going into a depression. It kind of was a culmination of different events that were mm-hmm. going on there. Yep. And the final straw was the skinning of the rabbit. Oh, gosh. That was like, and I think I'm done with this for a moment. Yeah. So how long had you been there by this point that you had your first experience with severe depression? Um, It was probably five months, four or five months so into it. Yeah, I was going to say, so you're about... A quarter, if not, or I'm sorry, a third, if not halfway through. Right. And what did depression look like on you, to you? What, what did you start doing? Um, one, I started hating the family dog. Okay. Which is tragic for me because I And love you have two dogs. Animals. Yeah. I love animals. Yes. And I was raised around dogs. Okay. But the frustration that I had for the family and not being able to voice the opinion. Right. I would just get annoyed with the dog and take kick the dog out of my room. Not live wow. that physically. But I wouldn't like that was a sign to me that that's out of character for me because normally the dog would be in the room on my bed and loving it. And yeah. I started to distance myself. Yeah. You were like, get out. Exactly. Okay. Um, and I just kind of... You started isolating. I Very much so. Isolating, cleaning. Okay. Oh, I was cleaning a lot. Okay. Cleaning everything. Their backyard backed up into a forest, so I would hike a lot. Okay. I would go off into the woods and just sit. That's pretty convenient. Mm-hmm. So you were able to go, and that was your outlet. Between music, cleaning, and isolation, yep. that was how you coped. Right. So how long did your depression, this first bout with depression, last for you? I... Uh, Honestly, I can't say that there was a conscious, like, it ended three okay. months in. Um, it just kind of faded I out. I left that family, moved to my next family. Okay, so that's what I was wondering. That helped a lot. Okay. And that host mom had had multiple exchange students before me, but had never had a host daughter. So I was the first girl. Okay. And it was great. They were grandparent age. Okay. And I learned to bake. While I was there. Nice. And I did all the baking for like all of her meetups, her friend groups, church things. I did. I traveled with them. Now, was your actual mother a very like big baker, mm-hmm. homebody, homemaker? No, she worked for a living, but my my mother was raised uh, making her own clothes. Okay. Uh Making all the meals for the family. Okay, my father so you, was... You already had that instilled in you. Oh, yeah. But then I you was, learned... Over there instead. Right. So how was that? How was the rest of your that was experience? Yeah. That was great. It was my therapy. And I, I met, had friends all of a sudden. And I also had a bout with bulimia over there. Okay. Like, it's just, I mean, literally, if you, th- you think of anything that teenagers go through, I kind of toyed with it. So it's interesting because I want to say that you're probably one of the first guests that's brought up bulimia or an eating disorder like that. So what was it that was manifesting in you? You were just starting to hate the way that you looked or... You were seeing, comparing yourself. What no, brought that on? So my first, my first round was a touch, and I don't want to go full blown anorexia or bulimia because it. Um, the first one was in high school, hanging out with the skinny girls. I'm five foot eleven. Right at my skinniest, maybe buck sixty. Okay, 
at my thinnest. Right. But I've always been 180, 200. But like 160, does that mean that's usually because you are unhealthily maintaining that? Yeah, it's that's a lot of work. Okay. A lot of work. Okay. That's like structured food and no fun and <laughs> yeah. exercise yeah. and that's structure. Okay. Living my life naturally, I'm like a buck 90, 200. Okay. Easy. And that's like living. Okay, existing. Existing, yeah, yes. yeah. Breathing. Is, so yeah. when you were in high school and you yeah. were comparing yourself to all the skinny minis, you were anorexic? I I did have a bout with anorexia. It okay. lasted about six months because I was hanging out with one of the prettiest girls in school who got discovered to be a model. And okay. she was super skinny and yeah. I have peer pressure and I wanted to be one of them. I just couldn't yeah. realize it after right. a while. Um, and then now here you are in ahead. Sweden. Sweden. So graduation was coming up for high school. My mom sent over my prom dress from two years back. Okay. That I couldn't fit into. Okay. So I became bulimic. To fit into it. To fit into it. Wow. When I threw up blood, it scared me enough to me for me to like. <laughs> no, no more of that. Yeah. Right. Kibosh that. So, right. Yeah. I just wore a very tight dress. Yeah. And <laughs> exactly. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that happened. You graduated. How much longer after graduation were you in Sweden? Pretty much I left maybe two to three weeks later. So I'm assuming by that point you're going, all right, now I really need to start thinking about what I'm going to be doing. Mm-hmm. So what were you thinking? I was 19. A uh, couple of months prior to coming home, I hit up my parents and I'm like, I need to go to university, but it's too late to apply. So I'm just going to go and take classes for a year Okay. and then figure it out. Like gen, gen ed classes, right. basically. Yeah. So okay. I was still going to university. And this is like 93? Uh, it's a about 93, yeah. Okay, so we're in 93. So yeah. we're going to go ahead and take a break, and we'll be right back on what you did when you got back. Stay tuned. Kill the wabbit, kill the wabbit, kill the wabbit. Welcome back. So you're now thinking about what am I going to do? Because now apparently I'm an adult. So now I have to figure (laughs) this out. Let's see what this looks like. So now you're talking about going to just go to university to go for gen ed and basically just figure it out as you go along. So did you? So I went to university. I took Latin and criminology. Okay. Because at this point I was still wanting to follow my my dad's footsteps. Right. But my love of travel, realizing that there was more out there yeah, than, a lot more. than Canada, uh, learning <laughs> another figure. language. Yeah. And there was, a, there was a sense of confidence of living through what I lived through. I lived through my depression. I lived through my parents' divorce. I lived through, I found my strengths while I was in Sweden. Okay. Coming home, I realized that the path, um, so I was in university, taking the classes, not doing very well. And really? Okay. Uh, modeling. I've always wanted to model. Okay. I did my first fashion show at five. <laughs> Apparently. Yeah. yeah so um, it was something you'd really so know. So it was in my blood. I really, really, really wanted to do it. And so I, when I got back home to Canada. And you had a friend that you were close with that caused you to almost get really sick because of anorexia who was modeling. Right. In high school. She yeah. got discovered. Well, yeah. when I was living in Sweden, I actually befriended a girl who was a legit European fashion model. Wow. Okay. At like 14, she was discovered. She was taken to Paris for a year. Mm-hmm did the whole Paris lifestyle. And when she came back to school, 
she was a year behind where she should have been. Okay. Therefore, that put her at the same level as me. Right. And we became very fast friends. Awesome. So here I am wanting to have been right. a model, but I'm a jock and I'm, I'm a big girl. Yeah. Hanging out with this gorgeous. Gorgeous. Like literally textbook yeah. model. Yeah. Five, nine, just body, beauty. face, Swedish. I mean, just ridiculous. Just yes. Ridiculous. Um, and she was still modeling in Sweden, so I would go on photo shoots with her, and just that so lifestyle you, has always been. I was going to say, background. so you've been kind of thinking. Yeah, it's just always been present, right? Not first person present, right? But Around surrounding. it, yeah. yeah. And when I went to Ottawa, so I went to the University of Ottawa, and I'm doing my criminology and Latin, and there's a modeling agency, and I thought everybody's like, "Oh, you're so tall, you should mm. you should model," and I'm like, "Okay, you know what? What the hell? I'm going to give it a go." Yeah. So I go and meet with this agent, and she says, well, you're too big to be a regular model. Okay. But there is this new thing called plus-size modeling. Okay. And I'm like, okay, what does that mean? Yeah. Growing up, for me being a big girl, I always had self-esteem issues. I always had right. body issues. It's right. It's just, and obviously through my story, you can right. hear that a little bit. And it also didn't help that my best friend in high school was five foot four. <laughs> right. Yeah. So... <laughs> But it's just like with anybody, it's you always want what you're not. Right. Yeah. Straight hair wants curly hair, curly hair wants straight hair, exactly. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And so I went to the agency and she said, well, first thing before we do anything, we have to see if you're photogenic. Okay. Said, okay. So Fair she enough. set up a photo shoot. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, I was photogenic. Nice. So this was good. Yeah. I'm already natural. 50, right. I'm 50% of the way there. Mm-hmm. Now, I either had to lose weight to be the skinny model. Okay. Or I had to gain weight to fit into this new market called plus size modeling. What an interesting turn of events for you. You're yes. like, hmm. hmm. So, and I was right in the middle. So I was about a size 12. Okay. Now your straight size models, your skinny models, your typical what modeling was based off of, you're right. looking at runway models or zero two catalog models are anywhere between like a size four and size eight. Okay. Size 12, nowhere in those. Double yeah, digits, no, nowhere no. in theirs. Plus size was in really being in the U.S. It was starting to come out like with, 16? Um, 16s, 18s. Yeah. 12s, again, didn't fit. So I either had to lose weight to conform. How or I had crazy. To yeah. So it was. That is, that's <laughs> all. They're like, can you eat some more? Right. Or starve. Now, I was 20. <laughs> I was about 20 at the time. Okay. And self-esteem issues already, body issues. I wasn't gaining weight. It wasn't happening. So you decided to go the opposite. Nope. Didn't have been down that road. Oh, so already a couple times high school. Yeah, the whole didn't and you went to both ends. You yeah. were either not eating or you were it's, eating it all and throwing, throwing it, up. it up. Right, and I can tell you what foods throw up really well. If you <laughs> want to know, um, that's in another episode. Yes. ice cream. Ice yes, cream's the easiest. Thing. <laughs> oh my so, gosh. <laughs> sorry. Okay, that Moving makes on. sense. That makes sense. It right. Yeah. 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 Don't throw up crackers. <laughs> no. Not good. Um, so. Where were we? We were in, I was about 20. And they're telling you, you're at the oh, crossroads. I had to lose weight or gain weight. Losing weight wasn't an option. I was working two jobs just to be able to afford to live there. I was going to school. What kind of work were you doing at that time? Oh, I was working at Sears Portrait Studio. Oh, so you kind of knew how to make people photogenic. <laughs> no, not at all. I was um, working at a shawarma place. Oh my gosh. That an after hours, like after the bar, right. when you're starving, you go to the shawarma place. Yeah. So I worked there. I was working whatever I could do. Absolutely. I, mean, I used to smoke at that point. I was a smoker back then. And it was I was so broke. We would, neighbors who were broke as well, we would all buy the tobacco, the rolling papers, and we would roll oh our own cigarettes. Gosh. Like, we were broke. Yeah. Broke, broke, broke. 
And so I failed miserably, failed out of school. Modeling was put on the back burner because I, I just I didn't have the tolerance to lose weight. I was surely wasn't gaining weight. Right. So I left modeling in the dust, uh, failed university that year, went back home, moved to Toronto. And was she mom. was she totally shocked that you just walked away? No, I don't ever. Honestly, what I got out of that experience. So hindsight's twenty twenty. That Always. was sort of one of those. I found out I was photogenic. And I learned something from the photographer that I still use nowadays okay. with every shoot that I've ever done since then. So there was there was a reason for those little... There's no accidents. Hmm? No accidents. No accidents. Yeah. So I moved home to Toronto, moved in with my mom, and then I went to like a trade school and I took travel and tourism. Okay. So it was like a, a one-year course. And at the time I was uh, waitressing... And working, what was I doing at that time, trying to get through school? Gosh, I have to go back. So I was was going to school. And you were still, so this is post shawarma, post Sears, post post, university. Yep, all of it. Yep, all of that. So I I dropped out of university, failed both classes, I think, and took put my tail between my legs and moved home to Toronto and decided to just take a trade. Well, and you said that a, a photographer told you something that you still use to this day. Right. Yeah. So, and that'll come into that'll okay. come into play, you know, sort of later. But it was it was a trade, sort of a skill. Okay. In front of the camera. Oh, okay. Lovely. So what he taught me, I used through the rest of my career. Gotcha. So I went to Toronto, going about my life, passed school, got a job with a travel agency, got fired for the first time in my entire life, got another job with another travel company, was waitressing and. Um, I wanted to model again. So my mom's right. going through the yellow pages. and So what made you decide you wanted to model again? Just because nothing else was working. Because I always wanted to. Oh, okay. Just, it was just one it of those. It was back again. Yep. Yeah, it's okay. never gone away. But my mom was going, my mom has always been one of my biggest supporters. And she was going through the yellow pages and she's like, why don't you try modeling again? Let's make some appointments with agencies. Wow. And it was the same conversation. You got to yeah. lose weight. You got to lose weight. You got to lose weight. Okay. None of those agencies were repping plus size models. Oh, okay. It hadn't really come into the marketplace yet. Gotcha. In the mainstream. I'm right. going to say mainstream because there's there's a lot of different platforms playing yeah, at this I point. S- we're still early 90s. I still remember vividly when it was like such a huge deal that I think um, the first one that I had seen got, gain a lot of recognition, Emmy. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh my gosh, what a big deal this is. So I vividly remember, yes, 90s yeah. was when that really started. Yes. And it was a tough go to start. Oh, yeah. And it was, you know, for Emmy and Christine Alt and, and that generation, they're the first gen. Yep. Of the plus size industry. And they paved the way and they took the brunt right. of the criticism. Yeah, and, and there was a lot. And the dissing and all of that. And and I'll, I'll get into that later. But some we, you know, I went to Ford and I went to Elite and I went to all of these big name agencies. Right. And all of them were like, you're too big, you're too big, you're too big, lose weight, lose weight, lose weight. And I'm okay. like, that happened and not happened and not happening. Right. Just plain and simple. Well, then we found this agency called Plus Figure Models. Sounds a little better. <laughs> I was like... All right, what the hell? Yeah. I want to do this. Let's go talk to him. What's the worst that can happen? So I walk in, meet with them. Here's a contract. We'd love to sign you. Don't change a thing. And you thought, uh, did I hear you correct? Yeah. It was like that you had me at hello moment. Like you had me at don't change a thing. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Finally, what I've been looking for. Right, exactly. But the whole plus size model thing, I wasn't 100%. I wasn't taking ownership of that yet. Right. And so I signed with the agency 
there's a lot of training that we did, photo shoots that we did, and the owner of the agency owned a plus clothing company. Okay. So she would hire the models in-house to do her catalogs and her marketing shoots in Toronto. So as one of her models, I got a lot of my experience and a lot of my um, tears, so tear sheets, right. from working for her. She okay. owned the agency. Yeah. So it was a nice little built-in. Yeah, everything was flowing together. Right. Except I don't think I ever got paid a lot for those. <laughs> Probably was, not. No, because I was spending, I remember sitting in my agent's office about about a year into it. And I'll, let me come back to that in a minute. Well, I'll, I'll just tell that story real quick. Sitting in my agent's office crying because I had spent like $1,000 so far that year and I hadn't made any money. I was working two jobs. Yeah, a lot of people working. don't understand the way that that works. No. It's very difficult. It's Especially li- from the jump. Oh, yeah. Yes. And when you're paying out of pocket, I'm you know living with my mom, trying to pay some rent to her, working two jobs, then trying to you know do this modeling thing, putting out, not seeing a return on right. the investment. It was It's really hard. Right. And he just sat with me and he's like, look, just be patient. It will pay off. And then sure enough, a couple of months later, I got a national campaign that paid me three times my investment. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to take a break. This is the end of the first half of your story. And it was the perfect time. So we will be right back after this. And I'm so glad that on your way here and all throughout the times that we've been talking, you continue to just trust me. Okay. We'll be right back. 